This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question asks if I can take a look at the personality and mental health characteristics in this Scott Peterson Parkland shooting case. So when I use the name Scott Peterson, a lot of people think of the individual who was found guilty of murdering his pregnant wife in California some years ago. But this is a different Scott Peterson. This is the police officer who failed to act during the Parkland shooting. So Scott Peterson, of course, is a real person, so I'm not diagnosing anybody here. But I'm just going to speculate on what could be happening in a situation like this. So I'll take a quick look at the Parkland shooting timeline, then take a look at the mental health and personality characteristics, and also look at these charges against Scott Peterson in light of what we expect in terms of police officers. So in terms of the timeline, we see on February 14, 2018, a single shooter, 19-year-old Nicholas Cruz, murdered 17 people at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. After the shooting, he blended in with the students who were fleeing, and he escaped, but was captured shortly afterward. He confessed to the murders and was charged with the crimes. Now we see in this shooting that there was a lot of mistakes made. There were several mental health professionals and others prior to the shooting that recommended that Nicholas Cruz be assessed and treated, including some that said he should be hospitalized while he's being evaluated. Apparently he did receive some therapy, but he was not hospitalized or committed. We also see some difficulties in terms of mental health services after the fact. They don't appear to have been available or effective as they should have been because we see that two of the survivors from the Parkland shooting committed suicide in March of 2019. Now, there were also mistakes on the law enforcement side. Law enforcement did not effectively follow up on indications that Cruz may be dangerous, including some threats that he made. And in terms of the day of the shooting, the response from the police department was too slow, and officers were outside the building instead of moving inside. A few of them were. Now, we see that the Broward County Sheriff was suspended by the governor sometime after the shooting. But when we think about like who got blamed for this, the individual that really draws a lot of attention is this school resource officer named Scott Peterson. He has been called the coward of Broward because, of course, this took place in Broward County, Florida. Scott Peterson was on the grounds when the shooting started. He was carrying a firearm, a radio, wearing body armor, and he was in uniform. So he was on duty, and his job was to protect the students. He indicated over the radio that he believed the shots they heard were coming from the 1200 building, which was accurate. That was where Nicholas Cruz was murdering people. But yet, Scott Peterson hid for four minutes instead of engaging the shooter, and evidently warned other officers coming to the vicinity to stay 500 feet away, which really makes no sense at all given how they're supposed to respond to an active shooter. At no time did he move in and confront the shooter 
or do anything to directly intervene. So based on the timeline, if he had intervened, it appears he may have been able to prevent six murders. Now we don't know what would have really happened, of course, he may have prevented no murders, but there was a possibility of preventing up to six of the murders. Scott Peterson claims he didn't know where the gunman was during this time, like the sounds, the gunshots, he didn't know where they were coming from. Of course, the radio call seems to indicate differently, as I mentioned. But he did actually go to the 1200 building, but he waited there and didn't go in. So kind of the thoughts that a lot of people have in the situation is that he was cowardly, like he heard the shots, he knew where they were coming from, he went to that building, but yet did nothing. He also acknowledged in an interview that the worst thing that somebody can be labeled when they're a police officer is a coward. He said that he never thought even for a moment about being scared or being a coward because he was just doing things the whole time. I'm not sure what he was really doing the whole time. This is kind of an interesting statement he made. But we see his attorney has suggested that he didn't fail to meet the standards of police officers. Now, that was said before he was charged. I wonder what the standards of police officers are. I mean, this guy didn't do anything. So this kind of gets into a difficult area in terms of defending him. His attorney also suggested that it was unrealistic that Peterson could have figured out what was going on, entered the building, cleared the rooms on his way up to the third floor where Nicholas Cruz was, and engaged Cruz in enough time to make a difference. Seeming really to miss the point that it wasn't about necessarily killing Cruz. It was about doing something. It was about getting involved and trying to find him and engage him. I don't think anybody expected that Scott Peterson was going to rush in that building and engage Cruz and kill him just like that. But maybe he could have scared him away, maybe just interrupted what he was doing so people would have survived. Really just any action in an attempt to engage Cruz would have been helpful. Recently he was charged with seven counts of neglect of a child, three counts of culpable negligence, and one count of perjury. Other than the perjury charge, these charges usually involve a caregiver, so they're usually applied to parents or adults in a household. Charging a police officer for inaction is actually highly unusual. We see this argument that he had no legal duty to confront the shooter. This has been brought up several times. And as amazing as it sounds, this actually may be true. These charges may be a stretch in order to punish Peterson for what most everyone agrees is immoral behavior, but no one ever thought to put that in the law. So there's really no law that he broke because we haven't really seen this before. The vast majority of police officers use force when necessary. I think everyone kind of takes it for granted that a police officer would attempt to confront a gunman because we've seen that repeatedly. So the charges are unusual, but Peterson's actions are also unusual. A police officer who hides when children are being murdered, it just makes no sense, and it's actually quite offensive. So this brings us back to the idea of cowardice. So what is a coward? Well, a coward is somebody who lacks courage, especially one who is shamefully unable to control their fear and attempts to hide from danger. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 
of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. So was Scott Peterson a coward, or was he simply ill-equipped to be a police officer from a mental health or personality standpoint? Well, under extreme stress, we know that the human body has what's called the fight, flight, or freeze response. We see this in reaction to a variety of different stressors. So did he have an unexpected response to the stress of hearing the gunshots? Did he freeze? He certainly didn't seem to fight or flee. We see this report by a lieutenant who approached Peterson around the time of the shooting, and he said that Peterson was walking back and forth, talking to himself, and breathing heavily. So really it seemed like he was having a strong response and quite afraid. So perhaps Peterson found out the worst possible time he was not equipped to be a police officer. Now this part really isn't unusual. We've seen fear in police officers before, but usually in a situation where they've overestimated the threat and acted too aggressively. So in a sense, this could be similar because there was fear, but the behavior was in the opposite direction. His response to fear seemed to be more passive, wasn't at all active. Another factor here could be neuroticism. This is one of the big five personality traits, openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. So the acronym OCEAN is how I remember the big five. People with low neuroticism do not have a strong emotional reaction to stressful situations. The vast majority of police officers have relatively low neuroticism. It's actually a massive advantage in their line of work. As for other mental health symptoms, there's no evidence that anything else is going on here. We don't see any evidence of fear or anxiety that were observed prior to this incident in terms of what we saw with Scott Peterson. So there might be some personality factors at work, there might be fear at work, but we don't really see a pattern in terms of mental health symptoms. There's no, again, evidence of that from before. Now, some have said that Peterson had a choice to do something else, meaning another line of work. So really, this argument says that his negligence occurred but it took place long before this incident. But again, if he was never tested, meaning put under a lot of stress, how would he know what his reaction would be to extreme stress? If this was the case, it would really be the police training and assessment that were not sufficient, and the blame would be shared to some extent between Peterson and the police department, as well as a few others. And it's likely that no action or inaction in a situation would rise to the criminal level. One could make the argument that essentially this could be used as a learning opportunity on how to improve training and assessment and how to involve the knowledge discovered through research about personality and mental health characteristics instead of an opportunity to punish somebody for being unable to overcome their fears. But then again, his failure was so disturbing, we don't ever want to see it repeated. So I guess there's this idea that punishing him will scare other police officers into confronting gunmen even though the vast majority of officers, again, would already do that. So there's really no evidence here that prosecuting him will achieve that goal. But if we look at this, we do prosecute officers who act inappropriately when they're afraid. Again, people that are too aggressive. So why not prosecute somebody for inaction because of fear? Well, the difficulty here is that no one knows how they're going to react in a moment of crisis, right? So it's very hard to judge anybody. A lot of people believe if they were in the same situation as Scott Peterson, even if they weren't a police officer, if they were simply armed, and some people have said even if they were unarmed, they would have charged in to stop the shooter. And I think a lot of people certainly would have. 
But again, until somebody's in the moment of stress, they really don't know what they're going to do. But police officers, on the other hand, are supposed to know how they're going to respond under stress. But how do they figure that out? really goes back to what I was talking about with training and assessment. Our society really expects a lot of police officers. They're supposed to make perfect decisions in seconds under incredible stress. It's also a rare type of stress. It's not something they do every day. We see that other people can't make perfect decisions even when they have years to think about it, and they're under no stress. We see that police officers are expected to be experts on weapons, tactics, the criminal mind, logistics, situational awareness, and mental health. They're told to be aggressive when appropriate, even to the degree of using lethal force when necessary. And at the same time, they're supposed to be understanding, compassionate, friendly, and warm when appropriate. So again, there's just a lot of skills we're placing on one type of position. Now, I don't know what happened with Scott Peterson, and he may not even know. But it raises an important question that I think our society does have to answer. We need people to protect citizens even when they're under extreme stress. And we need to know how to figure out who will be able to do that and who won't. So whatever happens in the Scott Peterson case, whether he's convicted or acquitted or whatever, this is still kind of a pressing issue that does need a resolution. And there's really no easy answer. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com.